Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Print Circuit podcast, where we discuss trends, challenges, and opportunities across the Print Circuit engineering industry. I'm your host, Steph Chavez. In this episode, we'll focus on electrical, electronic co-design with regards to uh, cables and harnesses. Here to join me in this discussion is Erica Van Berkham, leader in product management with Siemens. Thanks for being here, Erica. Thanks for having me, Steph. Can you give myself and the audience a brief introduction of your background and, and what you bring to the table for Siemens as well as the industry? I started my career over 20 years ago in wire harness design. I spent some time at Yazaki, so the world's largest harness supplier. Spent some time at Nissan, also started there in wire harness design. Moved to some various roles in electrical and vehicle program management. I've been with Siemens now over five years. Started helping customers do large-scale deployments of capital or our integrated electrical solution software system. And most recently, for the last two years, I've been a leader in our, our capital or integrated electrical solution product management team, representing our, our connectivity domain. So if you think about where that sits, that's in between like systems requirements design and harness design and manufacturing, where you would transform your logical designs into your physical designs. That's a lot. And when you think about it, that's a lot. Uh, and I, I'm really excited to get in this dialogue with you. So what are the key challenges for electrical or electronic designers that are working together when you talk about co-design? I think it all stems down to silos. I think we see this everywhere where we still see a lot of people working in silos. And what does that really do? That causes a, a lack of visibility of changes, both upstream and downstream in the design. The information isn't coming as consistently as it should or as frequently as it should. Also, they don't understand how those requirements are implemented across different domains like electrical or mechanical or software. So if I stick in my harness side brain for a second here, if I think about all the mechanical engineers that would make a change to their component, they move it slightly or they move a connection point to a harness and they think that doesn't impact me at all, but it impacts your routing and your wire length and your voltage drop and a possible EMC, EMI, right? So how do you get those teams really communicating with each other? And then that lack of visibility to the kind of system level functional design. So instead of me just designing my harness for the lowest weight or the, the least cost, like what's the whole vehicle doing? What's the overall performance look like? And how do we break down those cycles? From my experience, you know, the silos are, are the biggest issue that I see is the manual effort of collaboration where the human error, the human potential for error really is man amplified because of the fact that we are you know, in the past, have been working in silos from what we see in the capability of the tools today and what we have in the ecosystems today. It's, it's a challenge. And you make some great bullet points there. So can you tell me, how can electrical and electronic designers overcome these challenges? I think there's two main ways they could overcome them. I think first would be tools. On the tool side, you really need to kind of visualize and understand the implication of those requirement changes on those downstream designs like electrical and electronics. That traceability is vital for our safe and secure EE systems designs. So it allows you to get out of those engineering silos where engineers make good decisions into the implications of that wider or broader system that you have. And I think also the ability, again, if we're back to a tool, that ability ability to do an architectural trade studies is really important, right? So you can understand the system implications of change, but also when implementations are done at the design level, how do you back propagate and feed those back into the architectural design, right? And how do you do that sooner in the design process? I couldn't agree with you more. And 
I just want to amplify when I think about all that you're saying, it's basically how good is your digital threat? How is your communication? Are you communicating and when? And what is that visibility of the efforts that are going on as the collaboration happens? And the speed of communication. This Is it instantaneous? Is it a day, two days, hours later? I mean, you're spot on with that. You're preaching the, the gospel. I couldn't, I couldn't say more. And, you know, when you think about our legacy approach, and the sad thing is, is that the, the culture of this uh, that still exists of, I don't want to make the change because I'm okay with the su- level of success we're having. And it's good enough. That's good enough for us. But when I see that companies are leaving money on the table by not evolving with the tools, evolving with uh, the industry, uh, with its capabilities, is to me is, is disconcerting. I find it very difficult to understand. But I, I do know that from my experiences, is it's not easy to make change, especially when we talk about cultures changing and, and making a change in the ecosystem when, hey, we have been having success, you know, as you, as you mentioned the silos that are going on. It's definitely a challenge. I also think it's a little more interesting and kind of complicated because you have the same leadership structure under the electrical and the electronics typically, right? So the your point, it's like they have the ability and the power to make some sweeping changes here, but yet they choose to let their business units or some groups just kind of operate in the systems they've always done because they're comfortable or they're used to the software or you know, I knew this guy that worked at this thing and now we use this process. And again, how are they really challenging themselves to get to that, that next level? Yeah, especially when you think about the younger generation coming into the industry that are, I don't want to say corrupted, but they're not contaminated in a sense. They're coming in raw with maybe some fresh ideas, just a new idea, a new look and a new perspective. But yet the old guard is in place and it's like, no, this is the swim lane you stay in, and this is how we do it. We've been doing this for 40 years and been very successful, but that success, if you, you know, stand back and take a, a bigger picture of it, the success could be that much more if you were to be more open to the, the change or the evolution of today's you know, integration between the different domains from mechanical to electrical or from the different uh, silos from the different disciplines within the, you know, when you think about the system design to include you know, the cables and harnesses, that, it's important because those signals, when they leave the circuit board, they got to go to the outside world and how they get in there. They're getting there through the cables and, and the harnesses, whether it's a, a true rigid cable or if it's a flex cable, I say rigid, but it's a cable wires or it's if it's flex. When you think about automobiles today, they're like filled with flex. Aircrafts are getting the same where it's more and more flex. And uh, it's quite the challenge, you know, when we talk about the the electrical and electronic co-domain, and then you had in mechanical and systems, it's quite the challenge. Tell me, uh, Erica, you know, from your perspective, what are some of the roadblocks that we're seeing regarding these type changes? I think you, you hit the nail on the head stuff, like change is hard. Change is hard. It doesn't matter where you're doing it, right? at work or, at, or outside of work. And a lot of people are resistant to change. And I think, you know, your, your engineers, they show up every day to work and they want to do the best job they can do and they want to be very effective. And, you know, when you're rolling out change, you've got to manage that balance. You are going to see a dip in productivity as people scale up and they go through this change. But I think we're back to those. If the leaders are communicating clearly like the why, why we're doing this, what's the value proposition, what are we going to get out of it? Is it 5% growth, 10% growth, reaching this next level? If you communicate that why and recognize you're going to be 
patient with your team as they go through this dip in productivity? And how do you make that dip as short as possible and as least painful as possible? Then I think you can have some success. And I think what we see some of our customers do is, you know, proactive training or they do pilot programs or they have SMEs who become or subject matter experts who become black belts to partner with programs as they kind of roll out through the change process. Yeah, I tell you, from you know, my recent experience, you know, within the aerospace industry, the biggest hurdle was when it came to change, I'll say one of the biggest is that who's going to pay for it? And this customer on this project, the project manager said, like, okay, I'm not paying for that change. I have my budget for my project and I want to stay within its target as best I can. And I, I don't want to pay for, for our company to change our internal processes. And then at the same time, the end customer is like, hey, I'm not paying you to improve your processes. I'm paying you to deliver my widget to me. The best product, best quality with the highest yields, lowest cost. They're not looking for you to evolve yourself. So the question then is how do you how do you get past that hurdle of implementing change? And then of course, who's paying for it? And a lot of you know resistance I've seen is we're not going to do that change on my project because I don't have the budget for it. Therefore, you blink your eye, five years go by, 10 years go by, and you're still doing the same way, the same iterative, same silos, same manual effort. And you may have success, but it's success because you probably have a few team members who are doing, you know, going above and beyond and making sure that it's everything is successful. What happens when they leave the company or you know, they go out sick, go on vacation, then it's a single point failure. That success is no longer there. You know, when I think about our, our co-designs for electronic and electrical, that's the key. Yeah, they don't want to pay for it and they don't want to be the guinea pig, right? Nobody wants to go first. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I agree. I agree. I'm curious, you know, when it, when it comes to the cabling, is there anything specific that is a hurdle to cable and the harnesses that we see as part of, you know, roadblocks of change? You know, my evolution, my world is like you know, mainly in board design, but it's beyond board design. You know, we think about the system and the cabling. A lot of people don't know how to handle that. They don't know how to address it. Yeah, we see a lot of, of similarities, like I think throughout our, our industry, the guys, our core industries are automotive and aerospace, right? I mean, we do have others, but I think those are the, the kind of core of where we spend our time. And I think they're all trying to do the same thing, though their their speed of change is slightly different. I think when I first started my career in automotive, our design development cycle was, you know, maybe four to six years, right, for vehicle design. And now we're like a year and a half to two. So how do you do that? You can't do that. You can't physically get to the point where you're building harnesses and you're testing them on a breadboard. You have to, again, have that digital twin because you have to do this electronically. You have to do it earlier. You have to have a shorter feedback cycle. Auto and aerospace, from my standpoint, are really, they're trying to solve a lot of the same problems. They feel like they're so different, but they really are trying to solve the same problems here. I agree. Especially, you know, when you think about at the enterprise level of whether it's aerospace, automotive, they're big machines that when I say machines that, that function like big machines. So how do you, you know, affect change or how do you use the, the digital twin or the digital thread? And I think the key is, you know, what we said in the beginning is and what you outlined is you got to have a solid digital thread at the very beginning from when it comes to the requirements, locking in the requirements from your customers through your end product of delivery. And then with locking down that digital thread, then that spawns the digital twin as it starts evolving to be able to do the different analysis. And, and you, you said it best about how do you adapt to change, you know, and why you changed it? What is the why? Why did we do this? Why did we 
go in this direction? Or why do we pivot and go in a different direction? That, and I think that's, that's key to having that co-collaboration between the different disciplines and the different domains and having the tools in place to be able to do that. And I think that's what uh, Siemens, you know, brings to the table as a solid solution, being able to be extremely successful in that ecosystem of going from domain to domain very efficiently and very effectively. Would you agree? I absolutely agree. And I think one of the things I've seen uh, my most successful, our most successful customers in implementing this change is by implementing small change and building your foundations. So, I mean, like, are you training users? Are your library set up? Because that's always, <laughs> you know, are your library set up? I know you guys are into the PCB world too. And then, you know, we all understand the value of the Siemens Accelerator portfolio and everything we offer, but we don't have to, how do you eat the elephant? It's one bite at a time and you don't have to, you can't eat it all at once, right? So how do you break up that change? and still show success at each milestone along the way and just build success on small success on small success and not try to just do it all at once because then it's too overwhelming for people to consume. So Erica, let me ask, what are the best practices when it comes to cable and harness design? Capital has a great solution. And what I like about Capital is that it it does exist really well and, and integrate well with our tools in the Siemens Accelerator with other MCAT or ECAT or, or PLM systems, right? But it also plugs and plays with a lot. Of, we have a lot of tight, you know, data and integrations and, and bridges to other tools, right? So if you are a Katia house, as an example, you can still use Capital, right? So you kind of have these standard, we have these standard file formats that we can import and export. And then, of course, if you're using Capital or Siemens Accelerator for us, then, you're, then you have the digital twin. Right. So it's like, what are you doing to enable that that thread to eliminate that manual entry and to have the reuse of data? Right. So you're really saving time and building that efficiency. So you're spending less time in the tool and eliminating human errors. You know, what I love about the the SEMA solution is that you see the change instantly or the potential for change. And you can address on the fly changes or on the fly suggestions. You can do some what if scenarios and allows the full team to interact instantaneously versus, hey, I'm going to make this change and I'm going to email it to you or I'm going to put it on a server somewhere. Then you got to grab it and, and then you have to import it into your system. And it's just time consuming. And um, when you think about the evolution of today, of how quick can you get to market with the least amount of effort as well as the least amount of ex- uh, expense with the least resources that, you know, that we're up against, the challenges in the, pro- what the project teams face today, it's, it's challenging. Like we talked about earlier, you kind of have to get the engineer out of thinking about just their widget, right? Now it's the whole system. What are you doing that's best for the system and not just for your widget? So then having this digital twin and using Siemens Accelerator really makes a lot of sense to ensure you're doing just that. I couldn't agree more. And I can tell you, when it comes to working on projects teams, project visibility to everyone of who's doing what, when, and what are the reasons for decisions being made and and having the ability to look back and say, why did we make that decision and go down that path is extremely important. So it, it's key. You know, when I talk about the co-design and the multidiscipline uh, integration and collaboration that takes place. So tell me, you know, are there any differences in how the different industries approach this aspect, especially when we talked about automotive and aerospace? I think there are subtle differences. I think in terms of, of course, how they physically put the cables in their respective vehicles is really different, right? I think uh, 
aerospace is a lot like marine. They have these massive, super long cables, whereas, you know, the automotive industry does things a little compartmentalized, right? But I, I see a lot of them following the best practices and really leaning towards like a generative approach. Like, what can we do that's more automated, more intelligent and less manual, sorry, rather than keep doing the same thing over and over again? And how do I reuse that data? That's what they all want to know. How can I take, I want this piece of what I did before and this piece of what I did before. And how do I, how do I merge this all together seamlessly, right? And not have to re-enter all this over and over and over again. They're all, they're all doing a lot of the same challenges right now. I know that there are customers who are not willing to pay for engineering teams to redesign the same thing they've been doing. Like for example, whether it's a cable or whether it's a power supply, they don't want to pay for you to redo it, to redesign or reinvent the wheel. Why can't you use the, you know, the system, what you did before last time for me, or a company, internal company can say, hey, let's use this cable from here or this widget from there and let's bring this and take advantage of reuse and today's tools. That's the difference in that. But, you know, we talked about, you know, resistance to change. You'd be surprised how many people are redoing that stuff manually because they're not utilizing the horsepower in their tools, which Siemens Solutions is amazing at what they offer for when it comes to design reuse and the capabilities that are feature rich in our tools that allow us to utilize, you know, today's leading features to allow us to be more efficient and more um, collaborative in our approach to successful design, whether it's in one aspect or another, or, you know, we talk about the full electronic system in itself. So it's definitely that much more. Is there anything else you may want to add to that? Or um, would you, would you just basically agree and say that's. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. All right. I think we've outlined the best practices when it comes to electronic, electronic co-design. And as Erica pointed out, you know, the key is, is communication and breaking down the silos. Eric, I think you, you said that right from the beginning. You, you, I think that's key. And so I, I can't thank you enough for, for joining this conversation. It's been very insightful and it's really, really great content when it comes to how we are doing things today and where we need to be going and continue going forward. And if you're not, I, I would tell you, your team will eventually be left behind. That's for sure. So Erica, thanks again for uh, your invaluable insights. Thank you for having me today. So again, thanks for everyone to tuning in. I hope you tune in to our next episode where we talk about FPGA and PCB co-design. 